You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Okay, we're going to be getting right into it here. I've got Marcus Mufaridge. He is the CEO and co-founder of Illity. Illity is a no-code platform for operators to streamline their now complex business. Think Flexbase. Think uh, Office even, just general Office as it is today. Access control, vendors, employees, think industrial, many different use cases here. And that's something that Marcus really delves into, frameworks. Why frameworks are so necessary in building the right solution. Sure, you can go for off the shelf, but maybe you have very specific needs in your real estate business. And that's one of the things he's getting into. One thing that's very interesting is that the framework that Illity is building on has really caught the attention and reasons why they're working with Microsoft and Deloitte you know, gives a lot of credibility to you know, where Illity has already been able to gain traction and where they're going from here. They describe Illity as a middleware, offering companies control over tech operations and their offers. And so we're gonna get into all that and more. Let's jump in. Hey, Marcus, welcome to the show. How you doing, Nate? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm terrific. So I have to, we have to tell the audience here that this is a little bit of the twilight zone. We are both recording in now and tomorrow. Well, I'm recording today and tomorrow, and you're recording today and yesterday. We're in a little bit of different time zones. Correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm well into the future. Broadcasting <laughs> yeah. here from Sydney, Australia. It's honestly, it's a little bit of a mind bender when I try to put it together and it doesn't quite compute, but I understand. So, well, hey, um, I'm excited for what we're going to talk about because I think um, generally, I don't think we've had anything on the show. We've done 120 some episodes now. I don't think we've had anything on the show that is similar to what you guys are building and creating here. So I'm excited for that. So before I give it away and do a terrible job introducing, why don't you go ahead, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Marcus Mafarage. I'm the CEO and founder of Illity. Uh, and, and Illity is uh, a framework for the digitization or digital transformation of real estate. Uh, and really, we, we looked at, at why the real estate industry, industry wasn't going through digital transformation as quickly as it possibly could. And we've tried to build a solution to that. Um, and we've, we've done that by uh, looking at other industries and saying, you know, at, there's a lot of good digitization. There's a lot of really amazing prop tech companies out there. Um, a lot of amazing property companies that want to go further from a digital point of view. Um, and, uh, but, but there isn't an overarching framework for packaging, pricing, and distributing how people interact with, with buildings. Um, and so uh, a, a, good way, a good way to put it um, sometimes, you know, is that the prop tech, you know, holy grail is is breaking down the silos. Probably hear that expression. You probably heard that a lot on a lot of your podcasts. Um, Illity wants to rebuild the silos, and we want to rebuild them intelligently so that you're using the technology to distribute the outcomes that you want at the end of the day. And they can be very broad outcomes. We can talk a little bit more about that later. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's kind of start with, a, I think maybe it's a basic question. But maybe not. Let's first define digital transformation. Yeah. Because um, I think this is one of those things where, in, in especially in real estate, it's very easy to be like rent collection, right? Guest entry and exit uh, thermostats. Yeah. So like, tell, tell me how you see digital transformation and specifically with the, the, the lens of real estate. Yeah. So, so digitization is happening everywhere. I mean, every single piece of information, whether it's work orders or whether it's rent or whether it's access, it's all happening digitally now, right? So, but they're all sitting in, in, their, in their individual silos in disparate systems. And the, the 
issue that, 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 that you have is to get these systems to work or to even be able to communicate with each other, um, there's a lot of mundane tasks in between. So there's still a lot, a lot of stuff that's done on paper, right? And even though things are, are supposed to be getting digitized, it's that gap in between that, that you know, that failure to, you know, the failure to communicate between those things or the failure to be able to get the outcome that you want um, from, from that, that digital information. Um, and so, so, you know, really digital transformation is, is, is taking place when you're actually getting outcomes you want derived from, from, from the, the, the act of digitizing. Right, so the the actual workflows in the business start to change. Um, so it's one thing to take all your information and all your data and 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 um, you know your your um, functional capability in a in a building or in a portfolio um, and make that digital. It's another thing to drive outcomes that are that are you know distributed into the hand uh, hands of the customers or the property managers or the asset managers. Um, and, and make that whole process digital. Um, and so what we have now is a lot of digitization in silos. Sometimes those silos are getting broken down by great things like digital twins. Um, but what we're not getting to is the point where the outcomes are being driven and delivered quickly and iteratively um, you know, over a, a, a digital framework. And that's what Illity is striving to build. Yeah, and see, I think there's gonna be, we're going to have to set the stage here quite a bit because, you know, one thing that when I was looking, I was like, well, what can't Illity do? I, I, like, I had to start, like, thinking. <laughs> I was like, oh, I got to I gotta rein this in. So let, let's kind of start with, like, which properties? Like, is this, are we talking commercial, office, industrial, residential? Where are you guys, you know, who's the customer that you're building for and yeah. what asset type in mind? So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of my background because I think that's probably a little bit interesting and adds some color to this. And, and, then, and then we can talk about like where, what our path has been and how we've gotten to sort of the breadth that we've, that we've gotten to. Um, so my, my old man started a flexible workspace business in 1978 right, called ServCorp, which operates in 24 countries in 150 locations. Um, and working, I worked with him for 25 years. So we worked together to build that business and grow that business. Um, and I built all the technology that runs that business, and um, and and that business is pretty remarkable because as a flex workspace operator, uh, over only about two million square feet, so not like the world's biggest portfolio, but it generates in revenue uh, about three hundred million dollars a year, right? So it's very high yielding space, um, and you know he's a yeah he's a pretty awesome operator as well. So so combination of good technology and like a total animal at the in the CEO seat you know eight, he's now 81 years old and still out there swinging um, but uh, but but you know that, that that combination was pretty powerful so his business even post covid is throwing pretty you know sizable profits um, out of that out of that revenue and is probably the only profitable flexible workspace operator I, I know of right now and I'm pretty across the industry so uh, it's, it's quite impressive so so what I learned was there's a lot of mundane tasks that cause friction and cause people not to buy things. What I learned was that if you, if, if you add complexity to real estate, then you instantly add a really high service overhead. And if there's one thing that my hard-nosed old man hates, it's a high service overhead. So I was, I was driven um, you know, aggressively to reduce the service overhead as we started to create more and more services, whether it was, you know, internet or, you know, Wi-Fi or printing or, um, you know, concierge services, all those things, they always had to be, you know, totally automated because there was never any room for, for service overhead. Um, and so ultimately, um, you know, in, in focusing on all of that, we built uh, an automation platform for onboarding, provisioning, and and signing up customers, and then removing any friction between the customer base and and a bunch of services that, that are being provided to them. Um, and and uh, and that is what led to the business sort of you know, being a bit of a profit machine. Uh, and so I, I moved to the US about six years ago to work out why we work were blowing the doors off. And um, pretty quickly realized that we were probably going to go broke and pretty quickly realized that landlords were ready for flexibility and services um, in their buildings, as were tenants, 
Um, but there was, you know, they probably weren't going to take third-party risk if if the whole WeWork thing fell over. So, so I realised that landlords are probably going to have to do this themselves, but they don't have the capability to do that. And the the, the business we'd built in inside the Surfcourt business was probably one of the best automation platforms for multi-tenant real estate. Um, so I went to my old man and I said all of these things and I said, hey, we should be selling this as a, as a software to, to landlords and get in under them instead of being disrupted by them. And he said, if you want to sell software, you should leave. Uh, so I did and set up Illity uh, three years ago. And really, you know, initially, we focused on commercial because I knew a lot of the commercial landlords. I had really good contacts in that industry. I knew a lot of the brokers. Um, but in the time that I had between leaving Surfcorp and, and sort of all my knowledge that I had from building that automation system, I, I really came to the conclusion that there wasn't this overarching framework and it didn't matter what, what um, asset class you were looking at. Really, what you know, every interaction between a human and a building is actually a right and that right can be packaged and distributed. So it doesn't matter, you know, a lease is just the right to occupy, access is just the right to enter. Um, you know, you have the right to book a meeting room, you've got the right to, to, to um, attend an event, you've got the right to consume some data, you've got the right to log in and pay your bill. Um, it's really just an array of rights. And, and so I'm like, if we can keep that really generic, um, I'm gonna try and break this theory um, so I spent a couple of months trying to, trying to break it and looking at every single interaction between a human and a building and whether it could be packaged in that way. And really, uh, it seemed to work to me. So, so I did a lot of research on how digital rights management was this overarching framework for both the software industry and the entertainment industry. I looked up the patents of digital rights management and how it worked and all those sorts of things. And we ended up patenting this concept of physical rights management, which says, here's an interaction, doesn't matter what it is. Here's a wrapper of code that is illity that says who can use it, how they can use it, where they can use it, and how much they pay. Um, and, and we have now deployed that to 100 million square feet uh, across three continents. Wow, wow. Um, <laughs> there's a lot here to unpack, but it's incredible. When did you guys get started in, you know, in order to achieve that level of growth? Uh, so we, we started uh, in 2000, like kind of middle of 2019 is when we started like writing code. We, we built a, a flashy looking prototype um, that didn't really work, but sort of showed what we could potentially do. Uh, we had our first working product in about you know, amazing timing coming into a pandemic for a, for a property style product. But we had our first working product in probably about April or May of of 2020, uh, and we deployed to our first customer, um, which was RXR, in June of 2020. Um, and and we we using you know once you've got a really good framework that sets the rules about how things get distributed to people, you can actually build outcomes really quickly. So we deployed their their return to work tool, um, which evolved into their Workswell tool. Um, which they subsequently sold to view in a very you know, interesting, complicated de uh, deal. But we, we built that for them in five weeks um, and, and deployed it across their whole portfolio. Uh, and then we, we at, at the time, we had... Uh, so started as an idea in 19, first deployment, June 2020. That's so fast. That's, that's really fast. And so I, mean, I imagine like this is part of like you're even incorporating some of the same things you're thinking about and delivering to your customer. Like, you know, you, you have to have something flexible. You have to be able to work with, you know, multiple needs, but having something that is adaptable. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that because you, obviously you, you have a little bit of technical chops to you and a team, but you know, you're talking about selling to real estate. Real estate folks haven't necessarily gone this route. And, you know, if I if I go to the Illity site, I I see a little bit about like, you know, the platform, its flexibility, and even the idea of being like no code. Talk to me about what it's like to build a no code product. Is it harder? Uh, so it's harder to get people to understand what you're building or what you've got, right? Because 
I, I never want to be in a feature war. So this is a really good sort of way to, to talk through this. So we basically wanted to identify what was the easiest thing for us to get in front of property people that they would understand that they could deploy. And at the time, that was kind of this broad tenant engagement thing, which was just a real like big, it was a big fad. But we say in Illity that tenant engagement isn't an app, it's an, it's an outcome, right? And, and, I, and I very often tell landlords, look, tenant engagement can't be SaaS. It's not a SaaS platform. And even though it's really awesome and trendy to be SaaS, um, SaaS, you, you know, if you've got a software product, um, it, it might, you might need this particular software product that's SaaS that's the same across the whole industry to be competitive. But the question is, does it give you a competitive advantage? And, and if you want to build real tenant engagement, you need to have something that's very useful, that's unique, and that is giving you a, a competitive advantage. Otherwise, there's literally no point doing it. So, so tenant engagement can't be SaaS. Um, and so that's, that, that, was, that was kind of an interesting, um, that, 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 that's something we've learned over the last little while. So we said, look, if you take this framework and you say, and, and you make it totally composable. So composability is a really important point here. And I talked about iterating and, and, and so what I didn't want to do was end up with, you know, what I built for the Surfcorp business, which while being an awesome automation platform is kind of now a, a bit of a, a bowl of cold spaghetti that is really difficult to untangle and has things like technical debt and is a, is a monolithic platform. So I wanted to stay right. A bowl of old spaghetti. Yeah. That one, I will never shake <laughs> the, the visualization of that. So, so I, I uh, you know, that, that, that's what a monolithic platform is. And that's how you end up with, with, with technical debt, right? You just can't untangle that. And that's where, you know, we never use the term integration in Illity uh, because what we wanted to do was build a middleware layer that was totally composable. And so to, and what I mean by composability is you build every single outcome that you want. So really, really outcomes driven and you build every outcome as an individual product. And you can find a lot if you look up the McKinsey composability and, uh, um, you know, you can find a lot about about why composability is better than monolithic, a monolithic platform. Um, you know, we wanted to build a framework that enabled that composability. So. So here's how, here's how it works in terms of tackling this from a, from a technical point of view. We have this framework, which is very generic and, can, and, and is really small and is literally just who can use it, how they can use it, where they can use it, how much they pay as autonomous permissioning. You need that piece, you need that rights management piece if you want to build something composable, right? So if you don't want to build a monolithic platform where all the rules of, of um, permissioning are baked into... The, the monolithic platform, we want the permissioning to be totally separate. And then we want individual products that are all permissioned in exactly the same way. I hope I'm not getting too techie for you, but, but really it's, 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 it's about um, providing a wrapper around those interactions and those interactions already exist. You know, they may, they may involve Yardi or MRI. They may involve HID. They might involve, uh, you know, even a third party software provider um, for their very function, but, how they're packaged, priced, and distributed needs to remain autonomous from the actual interaction itself. And that enables this real modularity. It's not white labeling, it's not skinning it, just like we can make it whatever color you want. This is you tell us the outcome you want. Let's design all the workflows associated with that as an individual product. And then let's use a really generic method for distributing that. Got it. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, despite the fact that I work in tech, I, I think um, I'm going to play the role here of I'm just the onsite manager. I just, I let people in the front door. I'm a commercial office building. We have three floors. It's all shared flex space. What would be the, you know, the practical day to day usage that I would see from Illity? Like, how would I be interacting with it, working with it? Yeah. So, I'll, uh, overall, more complexity, doesn't matter what size or what asset class you're in, there's more complexity coming to landlords. Right? That's just a fact. There's, they used to sign long-term leases. They cut up concrete boxes. They had to worry about the mechanics and me the machinations in the building. And that was really where the focus was. And now you've got flexibility, services, amenities, 
um, food and beverage, membership, uh, you know, uh, hybrid, uh, and then you've still got all the complexity that sits behind all of the, the mechanics and all of those things. And then you need to make all of those machines work with all of this stuff. So who's coming and going when and how? And, uh, and, and so that, that, that complexity, like th that complexity is coming for landlords, whether they like it or not. And, and when they get that complexity, they're going to hit a fork in the road. So they're either going to become an asset manager, which means they're wholesaling concrete boxes, which great, great business and, you know, could be fantastic provided you make the right choices about how, who, who you fill those assets with, or they can take the path of being an operator or they can do both. But if you're going to be an operator, then you need to have the tools to be an operator, right? You need to have your technology actually working for you. And I don't care if you've only got three, three floors in a small building, right? Complexity adds cost. Um, it, 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 it adds friction. It removes revenue opportunities. And, it, and, it, uh, and at the end of the day, it adds service overhead, which, which as I mentioned before, is a, is a big issue. So it starts with just onboarding the customer in the first place. So how do they get onboarded? How do they get, um, how do they get badged, right? Let's start with that simple process. So how do, they, how do they, you know, understand what the rules are in the building? How do they understand where they can go and what they can do? And how do you communicate that to them? And if that's a manual process, then there's a mundane task there that has to take place. Right, then you've got to badge them so they can get in and out of the building. So there's a mundane task there. And most people listening will know that, you know, in the old days, as a new employee, you would go down to the security office in the basement and some guy with a clipboard um, would, would hand, it to, hand a pen to you. And if that's still happening anywhere, and I'm sure it is. In fact, I know it is. Oh, oh um, the bulk. That's yes. bloody insane. It's a huge waste of time and resources and money of these mundane tasks that... Uh, are actually provisioning services in digital systems that can easily be given instructions by by some sort of framework. So that's that's a starting point. So that's just you know, purely getting into the building and getting people in the building and then knowing when they're in and knowing when they're out and how do you surface that data really easily so that no one has to manually write a report and you don't have to like sign into a guest book and that sort of really mundane stuff. So removing mundane tasks is number one. Uh, number two is... As this complexity arrives, it presents both a problem because it's adding complexity uh, and, a, and an opportunity because if you remove the complexity uh, or if you remove the, the friction, there's an opportunity for revenue generation from this complexity. So all those things I mentioned before around flex, um, you know, amenities, F&B, all of those things are opportunities for landlords to capitalize on based on the community that they've managed to gather together into one building, right? And so, and so that, that concept's been around for a long time. The problem is that there isn't this overarching framework to manage it without a huge service overhead. And so really that's what we're doing. So how do you take advantage of those revenue opportunities, automating the delivery of those services, automating the billing of those services, uh, removing all the bad friction of those things. So the mundane tasks it takes to set someone up and to even to market it to them, to set someone up, to communicate to them about it, to build them for it. You gotta remove friction from all of those components. Um, and again, the only way to do that is having a really good distribution framework. And so if you wanna make a choice to offer services to anybody, um, what is the framework through which you're gonna do it? It sure as hell can't be offered by a third party on a one-by-one -one basis, because your take-up rate is gonna be tiny. If there's any friction at all, like if it's not more convenient than picking up your phone, um, then nobody's gonna use it. So all that friction has to be removed. And it's not just about removing friction between the customer and the amenity. It's about removing friction between the, the, the landlord and, and the work they have to do to get it done. Because a property manager who's just sort of says, hey, I've just got people coming and going, doesn't want to do any more work. So that has to be automated and frictionless. It's about removing friction between the amenity and the customer. It's about removing friction between the customer and their money. So how does, the, how does the commerce work and how is that really frictionless? Uh, and Illity solves all of those problems using rights, rights management. There was something there that you said that sparked a really, like, I didn't even know I had this thought. Um, but you talk about like the opportunity complexity. And for some reason I went to parking. Uh, so, right, yeah. paid parking used to be, you just put a quarter in the, in, in the machine, 
right? You had time at that spot right there. And then and then there was some yep. level of like, you either can text, well, you could pay at like a, a, a kiosk. You still had to put like the ticket in your window or put the sticker on your on the side of your car. It was a little bit better because now you could pay with a card, right? And then it got better and it went to like full on, you could just use the app, you could scan a QR code, and you could even just go to the like the web browser or text in, you know, the the spot that you're at and your and your plate. But then you can now take your car and all the other zones that share similar zoning as that, it's your plate to the paid parking zone. Yeah. And I thought about that. And I was like, well, obviously the complexity there is like, how do you manage that? And it's somehow scanning plates of like knowing which plates it should be and are authorized to park there. But the opportunity, as you mentioned, like with the complexity, is that now you can actually have more people, and I'm sure this is a selling point for all those parking meter companies, overpaying for parking. Yeah. Because instead of yeah. one person, you know, paying for the next two hours on that meter and invariably there's two hours paid for, you can have three people pay for two hours of parking who only stayed for an hour, but they can't share that revenue or, or, or share the cost yeah. like previously. Um doesn't make me love paid parking any more than what it is. <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, I appreciate. No one, no one loves paid parking, but I, I tell you what I what I don't like is when I when I do come across one of those old parking stations where, you know, it, it just it, it, it you got to pay before you leave and you got to pay in cash to you know. Oh my they, gosh! They've got all of that sort of. What am I going to do with cash? Right, you just don't. That, that that's just yeah. Or you got to pay with cash. I mean, that's. I'm going to use this opportunity also to it, talk about how nice everyone is in South Dakota as I'm slowly putting South Dakota on the map as the. Um, the, the, the hub for all things prop tech is that my wife and I, one of the first nights we went out downtown after moving here and we get there and like, Oh shoot, parking paid till six and guy walking by. Oh, do you need a quarter here? I, I got some. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I was like, this is, this is not Chicago. <laughs> let me tell you, <laughs> we are not in the city no more. Yeah. Um, I want to, well, and the thing is, the thing is that the parking one's a really great example. And again, it's about, you know, what rights, what right do you, what rights do you have to use a spot, right? And it doesn't have to be the same spot, but it can wayfind you to a spot. It's again, just a right to enter that, that parking space. And then how do you pay? Do you pay on account or do you pay on a credit card or do you have to put a credit card in? Um, you know, rights management can, can really easily determine what you get access to, even down to a parking spot, but that should be exactly the same management tool as you're using for accessing the building as well right and there seems to be these yes. silos between the the things because it's it's adding that extra layer of complexity and you don't want to integrate the parking system with the with the building's you know management system or you can't and and again elevating that yeah you can't and look integration's dumb like like at the end of the day anybody trying to integrate one system to another system is doing it wrong i'm, I'm i'll i i can get get right into that if we if we want to go down that path but 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 the um but but at the end of the day you know you just want to be able to say yes or no like you want to be able to say you've got the right to park here or you don't have the right to park here and if you do want to park here if you want to get the right to park here, then maybe you have to pay and we're going to remove any friction from you being able to do that. And that's, you know, that's really what we're all about. Very cool. You talked a little bit, I think we mentioned a little bit about amenities and we talked about the, obviously the opportunity for, um, you know, generating new revenue and, you know, uh, the company I'm at, OB, we just moved into a new building in Chicago and apparently this building has gone viral on TikTok multiple times because of how beautiful it is, its location, its amenities, there's things that, you know, commercial tenants really do want in the office space. And I think right now, especially the trends we're seeing of, hey, as an operator of an office building, you kind of really do have to stand out. Something has to be good because, um, you know, the office markets aren't exactly bouncing back yep. um, as as much as people would have liked for them. And it is going to cause some challenges. I'm curious, what are some of the trends that you're seeing of like how people are utilizing Illity to, you know, facilitate access to or even promote and and you know get the amenities that they have in their building noticed, but also utilized so that they can realize you know either higher tenant satisfaction or new lines of revenue. Yeah. So the first thing, and, and you know, I'll I'll keep harping on, and and hopefully your listeners don't get too bored about me talking about removing friction, but. 
But, you know, the, the, the responsibility of landlords now is to offer some flexibility. So flexibility is probably the number one thing that is that is attractive. So as people are still working out what the new reality is and what, what the workplace is going to be like, um, there is going to be a requirement for, for having access and being able to plan how flexible space is going to be used. And it is quite possible and quite likely that large tenants will use less space, but they will still need, uh, have a requirement for, for flexible space, um, but at a, at a higher rate. So, so this has to be a native capability of, of the building. And, and this is something that where, you know, this is where I really thought Illity was going to going to shine and we're starting to see this happen now it's only just started to happen three years after the original idea but a lot of landlords are going well we need flexible space in the building right and we don't really know how to run that so we're going to outsource that to a third party and that's fine and that's great Um, but but the fact is that if you're not removing any friction between the tenants in the building and that flexible space so that the flexible space within the building isn't a true natural native amenity to the building, then that friction point is going to stop them using that, right? They're going to find their own solutions as opposed to using what's already available to them in the building. So what I'm saying is if the third party partner that you're using doesn't allow the tenants of the building to completely frictionlessly without having to sign up, without having to sign another procurement form, without any of those things, if they can't go, I want to use, I want to book space in my own tenancy but I want to book some overflow space elsewhere in the building. If that is, if those things aren't as easy as each other, then the building's amenities are not going to get used and the flex space in the building is not going to have this great benefit of being in the building. So having it as a... And, and there are examples of landlords who go and build their own flexible workspace operation, right? Some of the biggest landlords in the world have gone and built their own flexible workspace operation and they run it completely separately from the building because it's a different revenue stream and therefore it needs a different corporate structure. But that actually is for the landlord's convenience and for their accountant's purposes. Um, they've stuck this huge black line of friction between the amenity that they're trying to offer to their tenants and 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 their and their tenants. So 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 they need to remove that. And to do that, you need an operating framework for distributing access to those things that is that is universal and that was where like the first spark of illity being a good idea uh came about and we're we're executing this now with um legal and general who are one of our biggest customers in the uk um we're we're executing it in in australia as well and uh and we're starting to see a lot a lot more interest in this space and we're also um getting interest from flex operators who realise that the Illity framework will go and be this sort of ubiquitous distribution framework into buildings, and so they're wanting to build using the Illity using rights management as well. And the the, the Malum is a is a uh, small operation in in New York, but they're just about to open their third location, and and uh, they're using Illity end to end, which is going to make it really easy for them to plug into their into their landlord buildings as well. And let's talk a little bit more about the adoption here and and how you guys are you know catching attention of really some some big companies yeah you, you recently uh, started up a partnership with Deloitte yeah uh, talk to me a little bit about that what did they see in illity and and what's that look like yeah so I mean Deloitte really under, understood uh, this need for a, a framework right? they they really they really understand that there needs to be a, a framework for like digitizing real estate. They, they like to, they, they call it like productizing. So what is the wrapper going to be that's going to productize all these new outcomes that are happening in real estate? Uh, and, and it just really, it really just dropped with them. So, so um, they, they understood it. They understand the application that it might have in their, in their business. And they also understand the application that it has for their landlord uh to, you know, customers who they're consulting to on workplace practice and other things. So, so um, you know, Illity really answered a lot of the questions that couldn't be answered um, by 
you know, trying to cobble together a whole bunch of solutions. Now, you still have to cobble together the bunch of solutions, and I'm not discounting their viability or their, their utility, but if those solutions can't communicate with each other, um, then there isn't a holistic um, you know, deliverable. And, and really, that's, 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 what we're, that, that, that's where like, this, this digital transformation really comes in. So Deloitte really understood that. They really like our approach. They like, really like the approach of composability as opposed to building a monolithic platform. So you know, it would be easy for us to go and build a monolithic platform that had 27 features that competed with the likes of Equium and, and, uh, or, or, you know, or, or VTS and Rise and those things where they, some product manager sitting in an office somewhere is building a SaaS platform that's supposedly going to be all things to all people. But we don't want to do that. We want to be a very simple, small framework that lets you know, all people choose what they want to build using the framework that communicates with each other. Um, I mentioned just before, you know, integration is, is dumb. And it is, right? There's two databases. This is a database that manages how people access the building. And this is a database that that, that uh, you know, manages leases, those two databases have specific purposes and were never meant to talk to each other. Right? That's just creating massive complexity for yourself that you're never going to solve and you'll spend three years paying some technology consultant that tells you they're going to create a great outcome and they do nothing. Um, and I've seen that happen time and time again. What Illity's trying to do is, is extract the data, the useful data out of those databases and they continue to do their daily job that they're supposed to do. And we're building a really common, uh, I like to use the term nomenclature, although someone said to me the other day they've never really heard that, but we use a common language where that data gets put into a wrapper where they can all, where it can all speak to each other. And so not direct integration um, horizontally, but lifting it vertically and then using that as a, as a communication layer between the systems. I think nomenclature is a great word. Uh, I, I like to use it. I love it. that word. Yeah, I like to use it. We, yeah. I, I use it often when, when we talk about internally for terminology on what we're referring to. Uh, it's important. Yeah. I particularly like to use it when I want to sound intelligent. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, um, I think I learned the word within the last few years. I definitely didn't learn it in school, that's for sure. So I wish I would have learned it earlier in life. Maybe that would have helped kickstart things a little bit sooner. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll shift a little bit here. You know, I mean, we, we've covered a lot of ground um, and it's, you know, we, we've talked about a lot of different things, but I want to get into like the sales and marketing here. Um, for the person who's buying, right, the person you're talking to, are they also the daily user of Illity? Um, and if there's a difference there between the, the person who's doing the buying, the person who's using, how are you navigating uh, that difference? Yeah. So, you know, I keep using the word composability. That helps a lot. So we have one we have one framework, and that framework is used by owners, by asset managers, by property managers, by tenants, and even by, like, the concierge staff at the front desk. They all use the same product. Uh, but because it's rights-managed and because it's composable, so it actually builds you your experience based on who you are and what you have the right to see. And so we're not just talking about rights management in terms of how the tenants can access certain parts of the building. The entire product is, is constructed for each individual consumer by using, using rights management. So you get to consume a unique experience for whatever your job is. And if you're on the front desk, you might just see visitor management and you might just see uh, you know, work orders that are, that are flying past and you might just see... Um, uh, you, you might just see um, uh, meeting room bookings, right? So that's your experience in using the Illity, the, the Illity framework or the platform that the landlord has built using the Illity framework. Um, and so, and if you're the, if you're the and, and a really good example for this, and you asked me before, you know, what are some of the use cases? And I, I went on for a long time about flexibility, but another good use case is, is transparency and data. Right. And data is, is, is uh, this, this talks to, to your point now in, in terms of who the customer is. Um, so so uh, one, of our, one of our biggest customers um, was collecting ESG data and invested a lot of money to put sensors around their, their buildings. Um, they were collecting building level data and they were delivering it to their facilities managers who were sitting in a basement basically going, 
oh shit, we're not going to hit net zero by 2030, right? That's and that's basically what they were doing. Um, so the the asset manager team basically was was really um, was was really forward thinking and said, you know, we need to get this ESG data and information and you know to the customers. Um, and we want to break it down on a per building, per tenancy, per occupier basis. Um, and so they worked with us to distribute that information based on who was actually consuming it. So the right information getting to the right people. So if the, the tenant admin or you know, the, the facilities manager or lease administrator of the enterprise uh, as the end user um, was consuming this, they might get some options that's going to help educate them. So they get some links that help educate them on how to be better at sustainability. They might get uh, links that take them to the marketplace, which we also built the, the marketplace for them, um, so that they can buy green energy from from the from the landlord itself. So creating some monetization opportunities without friction. Um, and then if you're the if you're actually just a, an employee of this enterprise, you might just see how your enterprise is performing as a tenant of this building compared to everybody else in the building. Um, and so different experience for each end user. Uh, and, and that's really the beauty of, of, of what we're delivering. So we are in, in, in the, sh the shortest answer, though, to your question is we are selling the, the, the landlords are consuming our, our product. Um, directly, and we're also distributing it to their customers. So we do both, depending on, and they get to see what they get to see depending on who they are and what rights they have. Got it. All right, Marcus, we're going to transition here to the bottom of the show, to my favorite segment called For the Future. For the Future is when I get to ask each guest who comes in the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. You ready to play? I'm ready to play. Let's do it. All right. Question number one, what does illity look like one year from now uh one year from now um you know i think we're going to be uh across two to three hundred million square feet and we're going to have a much bigger presence in multifamily where i think there's a lot of opportunity for us um our the complexity of the software we're building on a case-by-case -case basis in terms of illity is going to get simpler um, but the, the customers are going to have a better understanding of how to use the framework to build other things that they want themselves or even potentially use third parties to do that, like our partnership with Deloitte. Very cool. Question number two, three years from now, will no code still need to be said in advertising for platform and app, or will that just become part of the norm? Three years from now, uh, this pure speculation. Um, I think there will always. I think there will always need to be. You know, the, 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 I think what will happen is the decision from buy or build, which is like massively oversimplified, um, is going to become much more um, nuanced. Uh, so it's not just going to be buy or build. It's going to be how do we. Um, how do we blend that so that we're cutting code for what we need to cut code for and we're, you know, using templating. I, I think templating and no code is going to become much, much more prolific. I don't think you'll distinguish yourself by, by calling yourself a no code platform. So I don't think that that will be the case. We're probably moving a little bit away from that already. Um, but I think that composability is going to become the key term. And, and that means that, you know, you're building... Um, you're building software that is a sum of parts joined together by a common nomenclature um, that, that, that is, you know, where, where Reality wants to head as well. There's that word again. There it is. Nomenclature. For those who haven't heard it, that's like, what, eighth time. If you've never heard it, you've heard it eight times in the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the last 40 minutes. I like to, um, I've been on a little bit of a crusade lately that the, the question founders are asking right now uh, for their platforms is is there there's there's buy there's build but then there's embed uh and i, I, I i'm i'm biased because we have an embeddable product at ob so i've been pushing hard on that but i also think that yeah. it's just there's a lot of reasons it makes sense so i've been been pushing on that quite a bit totally well no, nobody needs another app so we're actually pushing individual product outcomes that illity's building 
they don't necessarily have to go to a tenant engagement app per se. We're pushing them straight into Teams, pushing them straight into whatever whatever you're currently using. If you're using an app or you're using a you know building front end, we'll push into that. We don't we we don't want to you know we're, we're middleware and we but we can express it just as a as a string of code as a JSON that can push into a front end anywhere. So we're totally embeddable. Number three on for the future here. What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Uh. I think people will continue to find easy solutions that are flashy and glossy, but are just a thin veneer of crap. <laughs> uh, so, so I think that the, the resistance of, um, of property people who have a really great industry knowledge the resistance of them to to want to truly understand how to build a good iterative product using technology will will continue and it needs to change. So I, I wish that would go away. All right. Last one here on For the Future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Mundane tasks. Simple. Right to it. All right, Marcus, I've got three questions remaining. These are all about you, so our listeners get to know you just a bit better. First one is, what are you reading? I can't read novels. <laughs> I, I, I don't read novels either. So, yeah, I, uh, I can't answer that question in the traditional sense because I am not a traditional reader. Um, so I consume a lot of nonfiction general information and news items, but I don't read in the traditional sense. That's embarrassing for me to admit, and I've probably never admitted that in public, so you guys probably <laughs> hey, now look, know something you know what? about me. But some, some, way, some way that my brain works is I can only speed read. I can't read like a normal person. Anyway. For, for what it's worth here, and I, you know, you're not, first off, you're not the first person to come on the show and say, you know, I don't just, I don't generally read books. Um, but you know, I have a, I have a mentor and he's been profoundly successful in software and real estate, um, to many, many, many degrees it stays unknown, but you know, I've, I've asked him multiple times, like, how, what do you mean you don't read? He's told me that multiple times, like, Nate, I don't, I don't read. And he, he but he does, it's just, it's articles, it's, you know, reports, you know, it, like boring journals, like he kind of doesn't get sucked into a lot of the the hype that is book marketing let's be honest there's a lot of hype around it and i've been part of that hype so totally understand and i don't think it's a terrible thing to admit it's just a, a different way path of getting yeah. what you um, you need adhd is a blessing and a curse and very often it'll make you successful but it does have some drawbacks there you go all right number two who are you learning from wow um that's a great question um i learn a lot from my team from the Illity team, really smart group of people who uh, you know just surprise and excite me every day. Um, I am learning from my customers, um, and I came from a, a business that uh, was you know, really out there when it was in, in its day, way ahead of its time, and really had a the feeling that it wanted to tell everybody. Um, how to do everything um, and so there wasn't a lot of listening and learning to customers it was just this is the way it is and where you know where the the only option that you know to to, to get it to do it this way um, and so that's been a really refreshing experience for me so learning a lot from my customers uh, and and uh, I I learn a lot from my investors as well so I'm, I'm you know I'm not you know, having, I'm, I'm pretty old, right? Which is why I'm building this thing so fast. Um, and so, and so, uh, I'm not, and I've got some, I, I, I lack some skills that, you know, um, that other sort of founders or, or multiple time founders might have gathered in a, in a long career. Um, cause I've never had to raise money. So I'm learning a lot about, about that and a lot about human nature from that. There you go. All right, very last question. What inspires you? Um, 
I don't want to sound lame here, but my kids definitely inspire me and, and my wife. And my, and my wife. That's not lame at all. Um, uh, waking up every day and living a blessed life, like a really awesome life, like literally inspires me. I'm like, I love life. Like I want to suck the marrow from its bones. So I really love it. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's, I think life's awesome. I think it's a really cool answer. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, as much as you may think that that's, uh, counter to what many people say, I think actually I should go back and do a, I should, we, we should do a, a postmortem here on what do people say on that question? But more often than not, I do believe family comes up as a pretty common yeah. answer. Marcus, this has been great. I appreciate your time um, and stretching me. I'm not going to lie. There's a little bit of stretching. to like, hey, what's going on in real estate and who's really pushing the boundaries? As I say, you know, challenging the status quo, quo on the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Um, and I, I think that you guys are you're doing that. Before we close out, for those who want to find you, get connected to you, and or learn more about Illity, where do they go? How do they do that? Um, pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. And... Uh, easy, uh, and you can get me at, at, at mmillity.com. Easy to remember. And of course, the, the links for uh, finding Marcus will be in the show notes below this episode, wherever you're listening to podcasts. But uh, until next time, we'll see you around. Thanks very much, Nate. Thanks for listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right in your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great worthy listen. We'll see you next week.